The Sea Change Podcast is sponsored by Changing Greatly Consulting, providing effective, data-driven talent and culture solutions that attracts top, diverse talent by creating psychologically safe and inclusive, high-performance cultures. Come for the talent and stay for the culture. Now, let's get into The Sea Change. Welcome to The Sea Change Show, where leaders are changing business for good. I'm your host, Maura Barclay. If you are a new listener, welcome, my friend. We are so glad you found us and you did not find us by accident. Please take this moment to hit subscribe, click follow, because you're not going to want to miss a single conversation with the amazing leaders who come to this show. It is incredible to me who shows up. And for those of you who are frequent flyers, we really appreciate you coming back week after week and sharing us with your friends. We appreciate your comments. We appreciate your support. And it is because of you that the Sea Change podcast has now officially been ranked in the top 5% of podcasts around the world. So thank you very much, everyone. We sure appreciate your support and we love having these conversations and so glad we continue to get to have them. This week is a highlight episode and I want to highlight the incredible conversation I had with Frank Dana a while back. I'll put the original air date in the show notes. This is going to be a very high value functional episode and you get to hear the sound me putting my desk up here. There we go. So I want to cover one thing. This is what I get paid the big bucks for folks, because talking about it and giving you the tools or the methodology is different than actually implementing. So for those of you who have an affinity for this stuff, I'm going to give you the gold right now. Probably going to lose tens of thousands of dollars in the coming months by giving you this tool. But guess what? I would rather that you just get this done than wait around and hire a consultant. Like if you can do this internally, this is the way. At the end of the day, I am dedicated to people self-actualizing at work and experiencing the perception of genuine care by their companies and their colleagues, their supervisors, and being able to be at work in a psychologically safe space. So this accomplishes all of that. One of the things that Frank Dana and I talked about and all of his details are in the show notes. We don't know who that is. P.S. He's a phenomenal culture and change management ninja. He and his brothers at uh, Culture Plus and Seneca Leadership and sisters, but the his leadership cohort that contributed to Love as a Business Strategy were all men. Thus, the brothers reference. That said, they have a lot of super fierce women who are also doing this really worthy work at Softway and Culture Plus. But I digress. Here's the deal. Here's the tea, folks. The big disconnect at the majority of companies is there is this consensus that 
once you have developed really satisfying core values and you hang them on the wall and you put them in your job descriptions and they're everywhere in your business and in your handbook. And that's supposed to somehow create boots on the ground experience. I can speak from personal experience. Having the words mutual respect all over your organization in no way correlate to the experience of mutual respect among employees. It doesn't translate. That's not how it works. The work of culture is, and this is one of the reasons that I think it's misunderstood, is to operationalize the translation of core value statements to behavior because culture is defined by behavioral norms. And if you don't believe me, <laughs> just listen, there's a lot of definitions, but it really comes down to behavioral norms because what somebody says the culture is doesn't matter. When you come in as a human, you're looking around and saying, well, what's everybody doing? How's everybody behaving? That's how you're going to behave. If you've got world-class benefits, but you're paying attention and you notice nobody's really taking their PTO. And even the moms, they come back after like two weeks. Nobody's, nobody's really taking their benefits. I wonder why that is. That behavioral norm tells a story and that story is the culture. So although you may not be able to met, measure culture directly, you can 100% measure the effects of your culture directly through behavior. And benefit uptake is just one small vector of how we measure culture. The piece that Frank and I discussed, that is the solid gold here, is about working agreements within teams. And the reason that it's solid gold is because every team has a microculture, and if they don't, they ought to. It's just like how business has it has its own vernacular, how military has its own vernacular, how medical, clinical speak, um, academia. Everybody's got their own language and their own culture. It's natural, and it's a part of how we identify with the in-group of that particular tactical or operational group. So obviously the product development folks are going to have a very different working group than the, we'll say like the digital backbone folks, like the, the people who are responsible for the digital interface or the, you know, the user interface for the products that people are developing. So these are very different, different functions, different people, different work styles, different behavioral profiles, 
they're going to have different cultures. That's a microculture. There is an overall macroculture, and that's a lot what Frank was talking about. So I would say within every organization, take an inventory of what I call universal core values, respect, care, um, connection, empathy, compassion, these types of things. Those belong in every work group, no matter what. But things like safe to fail, question the status quo, fail fast, um, celebrate intelligent failure. These types of things, like you can hear, that's like an innovation work group. That's a group that needs to iterate, that needs to like, in order to actually innovate and not iterate, which as you know, is different. When you're innovating, you need a safe space to take the data you have, the best data you have at the moment, apply it, face plant, get up, iterate it, keep going, right? That's how you get to there. You got to go through a lot of iterations. And those types of work groups, those types of teams, they need that support. They need that psychological safety to know that they're going to be okay when they inevitably fail, which is part of innovation, right? Uh, so that's a perfect example. Uh, other, uh, other than that, if you have something like, if you are in the branding, I'm totally spitballing here. If you are in the branding team and you're looking for a, uh, let's say you're doing a new vertical and you need a new brand, that's a no bad idea zone, right? So if you're, if you're brainstorming, if you've ever been part of a proper brainstorm, then you know, every single idea is critical. The moment you poo-poo an idea, you are shutting down the creative process because the, the whole point of a brainstorm is not the ideas that come out in the first 10 or 20 minutes. Those are the ideas that actually provide a springboard that gets you iteratively to the thing that you're actually trying to get to, but you have to let that flow occur. <laughs> so even if you have something absolutely absurd, that might be the thing that gets you thinking about the thing that actually is a world-class idea. You see, so that's still, that, and that, that, that is a different, that would require a different operating agreement. For example, we don't judge creativity. No judgment of creativity. That's a great operating agreement. So when we hear people starting to pick apart other people's creativity, we're like, hey, hey, hold on, because that starts to shut it down and you don't want to do that. It's very tempting to judge creativity. So you see how these create guardrails. They create the little, uh, what do we call it? The little uh, in the bowling alley, uh, the bumpers in the bowling alley. That's what these agreements provide. And if you have, for example, I think it was Pixar that had this wonderful working agreement. It was all about creative friction. And it was something like respectful friction is encouraged. That wasn't, I'm, I'm reaching here, but that was essentially what was happening. They needed creative abrasion to get where they were going. And the people wanted, expected, 
and required other people to kind of pull apart their assumptions, not their creativity, but their assumptions as a tactical thing about how to problem solve. Um, that was really powerful learning uh, when I came across that particular data. So if so, it, as you are translating your core values into culture, there, step one, realize it comes down to behavior. Step two, you need to map those behaviors to the core values. So if you have a, a core value that says mutual respect, then the question needs to be, and this question can happen in the teams where there's where we're operationalizing mutual respect. What are the behaviors that demonstrate that we have mutual respect between us? We don't talk over each other. We listen to each other. We acknowledge each other's value. We respect each other enough to uh, I would say, uh, 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 create a uh, pushback, it, you know, uh, going to bat for your own idea type of thing. That's mutual respect. So it needs to be specifically mapped out and each value that serves the operation that the tactical operation of the team that will actually serve the strategy of the team the tactical behaviors that you are operationalizing and creating psychological safety to make sure everybody feels welcome and included to share their unique lived experience, their unique perspective that can only come from their unique experience. So when we have mutual respect, that's what that looks like. If we have, what's another one? Oh, inclusion. I love this one. Inclusion. If inclusion is one of your 2D core values, 2D meaning it's in it's it's in all the places. It's on your website, it's in your employee handbook, it's on your walls. That's awesome. How are you including people in in meetings? Maybe you you have a working agreement that maps the behavior of nobody leaves a team meeting until every single person has had the opportunity to contribute. And every single person must contribute because people don't get hired to sit around and take notes. They get hired in the knowledge economy for their valuable perspective and insight, right? That's how to map inclusion to behavior through a team agreement or operating agreement. And this is how you create a psychologically safe culture. This is how they're built. It needs to be done very intentionally, uh, it's helpful to have consensus around these team agreements. You only need five, five to seven points, really five to seven agreements. And you want to get to the point where, and no, it, clearly if you have a new person in, in on your team, you're going to go through the whole forming, storming, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll need to onboard them into the culture. But ideally, when you have established, you have collectively, through consensus, established these team agreements. When it's working, the culture will be so clear that 
technically you should not have to review them when you have a new team member join. It should be so clear through the behavior that everyone is demonstrating what the agreement is. In fact, I think that is a phenomenal litmus test of the culture within, or the microculture within the team you're working right now. Imagine if you were to come in as a newbie with no context and watch the interaction, what are the core values that you could glean from the way your team interacts? What are they communicating to you? What are the unspoken rules that are operating? That's what culture is. Culture is behavioral norms, spoken or unspoken. It doesn't matter. They are behavioral norms. And I don't remember who said this. I put this in one of my LinkedIn posts recently, that culture is essentially the worst behavior that is tolerated. And I love that. I'm like, yeah, that really nails it. If you have a bad actor and nobody does anything about it, you are just putting a rotten, stinky, worm-infested brown apple in the middle of a bunch of ripe, crisp Fujis. Let me know how that goes, right? And I can almost promise you that that brown apple is an amazing sales rep. A lone wolf, a cowboy or cowgirl who has very little interest in structure, very little interest in being managed, and they are riding on the fact that uh, you won't say anything because they're producing for you. Very bad. It's a bad situation. Actually, it's not. It's a, To me, it's a simple situation. It's just a matter of having managerial courage. That would be another episode, but not this one. All right, folks, you got the gold, you got the T. The way that you bring your 2D best intentions, core values into the life, the living embodiment of your employees, bringing it into 3D is to map those core values to behavioral norms and bringing them specifically through operational agreements or team agreements within each department, which will have its own microculture. You only need three, like maybe five, possibly seven, if you know, depending on how many of the core values of the company you're going to bring in. We'll say five to seven to keep it simple. Agreements you start off with at the beginning of every meeting. Everybody has there has been consensus so that the leader of the team, the supervisor, has brought the entire team into the decision-making process. With regard to the values, everybody's in on it. There's everybody's got a piece of it. And then you introduce it at the beginning of every meeting to remind people of the conduct that everyone has agreed to. If anybody violates that conduct, it is immediately corrected. It is, it is corrected publicly and it is corrected compassionately and respectfully. Anyone who cannot abide by the culture is not aligned with the culture and has an opportunity to either make an adjustment and align or self-select out of the culture. Super simple. Not always painless, 
but pretty simple. All right, folks, thank you so much once again for helping to make Sea Change one of the top 5% podcasts in the world. I'm still sort of reeling from that. I appreciate you so much. If you have any questions about culture, about talent engagement or retention, which is super important right now on the downturn, please DM me on LinkedIn, Maura Barclay. You can also go to my website, maurabarclay.com for culture information. I would love to talk to you just to have a conversation. And if I can't help you and you need help, I will refer you to one of my rock star colleagues. I have a very deep network. And I would love to refer you to someone who can help you out. So thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Sea Change Show. We sure appreciate you stopping by and taking your very valuable time to visit with us. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Who knows what's going to happen? I never do. It's always up in the air. And if you would like to be a guest, if you have something to offer, I would love to talk to you please email me at cultureworks at maurabarclay.com. And that's M-A-U-R-A-B-A-R-C-L-A-Y.com. I would love to talk with you. And if you have someone who you think would be a good fit for this show, please reach out to me and connect me. I want to keep celebrating and amplifying as many of these voices as possible. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.